0: As a lifelong sports fan, I've witnessed a lot of amazing performances. You could call some astonishing, astounding even, maybe incredible or remarkable. But I've been thinking lately, what's the greatest? Well, now I'll try to answer that question here on the greatest podcast of all time. Hello again, sports fans, Mike Grace here, welcoming you to episode number five of the greatest podcast of all time. It's brought to you this week by my friends at Swamp Butt Underwear, makers of men's performance sweat wicking underwear, Swamp Butt Underwear, underwear made for hot people, available now exclusively online at SwampButt.com. On this week's show, I want to ask a simple question, but one that comes with a multitude of complicated answers. The question, why isn't Pete Rose in the Baseball Hall of Fame? It's a topic that's been debated for more than 30 years since Rose himself agreed to be banned from baseball for life. So what led to the ban, why did Rose accept it, and what's changed since that 1989 agreement? Well, in this week's show, I'll attempt to answer all those questions, and with the help of my late great friend and radio partner, Ken the Snake Stabler, we'll pose those very questions to Charlie Hustle himself. All that when the greatest podcast of all time continues after this
1: let's talk about that sweaty backside or swamp butt you've got it or know someone who does do yourself a favor resolve to have a drier 2020 wear swamp butt underwear Swamp Butt Underwear evaporates sweat faster than any other because it's made from lycra and polyester right here in the USA. It's only available from the website www.swampbutt.com. Swamp Butt Underwear, it's for hot people like you.
0: Welcome back to the greatest podcast of all time. My name is Mike Grace and my topic this week, why isn't Pete Rose in the Baseball Hall of Fame? If we were to start naming the greatest baseball players of all time, Pete Rose's name would certainly be on the list. But let's start out by assuming that you and I know nothing about Pete Rose or the Baseball Hall of Fame. Together, we'll simply examine the facts, then make our own arguments about Pete's Hall of Fame status. If we start with his baseball bio, his on-field accomplishments simply rank among baseball's best ever. A 22-season career, he started with the 1963 Cincinnati Reds, 15 very successful seasons there. He was named the 63 National League Rookie of the Year. A decade later, won the 73 NL Most Valuable Player Award. He helped that Cincinnati team known as the Big Red Machine to -to back-to-back World Series titles in 75 and 76, even earning the World Series MVP award following the 75 Series. Now, in 1979, the Philadelphia Phillies made Rose the highest-paid player in team sports. He spent four seasons there and while so, he and the Phillies earned three division titles, made two World Series appearances, and won the franchise's first ever World Series title in 1980. Now, in 84, Rose played for the Montreal Expos. It was there where he collected his 4,000th career hit, joining Ty Cobb as the only members of the 4,000-hit club. Then late in the season, Rose was traded back to the Reds where he was immediately named the rare player-slash-manager. It was the following year when Rose finally broke Ty Cobb's all-time hits record, and two seasons later, in 1986, Rose played his final game, finishing with a record 4,256 hits. As a player, it's simple. Rose's resume screams Hall of Fame. A 17-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner, the 1982 Silver Slugger Award. He won three batting titles, finished two seasons with the game's highest on-base percentage, four times with the most runs scored, seven seasons with the most hits, five times with the most doubles in a season. He ranks eighth all-time in total bases, sixth in runs scored, and sits alone atop the baseball record books in games played, at bats, plate appearances, and of course, Rose stands as the all-time Major League Baseball hits king With 4,256. Now, before we get into the controversy regarding Pete Rose, and there's plenty of that, one more final note on his baseball playing career. Go back to 1999, Major League Baseball decided to let the fans vote on baseball's all century team. Over 2 million fans then voted on the players using paper and online ballots. The top two vote-getters from each infield position, plus the top nine outfielders and the top six pitchers, would be placed on the team. Now, check out this list of the nine outfielders voted to the All-Century team. Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Ted Williams, Willie Mays, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Ty Cobb, Ken Griffey Jr., Stan Musial, all Hall of Famers, and then, yes, one Peter Edward Rose. Now, despite his talent, his records, his on-field accomplishments, Rose was surrounded by controversy literally from the very start of his career. Go back to the start of the 1963 rookie season. It was during a spring training game against the New York Yankees when wildly popular veteran Yankee pitcher Whitey Ford first gave Rose what was meant as a derisive nickname, that of Charlie Hustle. There have been at least two different stories circulated as to how it actually came about, but either way, the nickname was never meant as a compliment. Multiple sources say it started after Rose sprinted to first base after drawing a walk, a typical Pete Rose kind of thing. But in the Ken Burns' terrific baseball documentary, Baseball, Ford's teammate Mickey Mannell claimed that Ford gave Rose the nickname after Pete, who was playing in left field, made an effort to climb the fence to try to catch a Mantle home run that was said to be about 100 feet over his head. According to Mantle, when he got back to the dugout, it was Ford who said, Hey Mick, did you see old Charlie Hustle out there trying to catch that ball? Well, despite of, or maybe because of, the mockery in which Ford intended it, Rose adopted that nickname as a badge of honor, and Charlie Hustle was born. Now, fast forward to 1970, that season's all-star game played at the Reds' brand new home field, Cincinnati's Riverfront Stadium. At the night of July 14, 1970, Rose involved in one of the most infamous plays in all-star game history, maybe in baseball history. It was a tie game entering the bottom of the 12th. Rose singled, then advanced to second on another single by LA Dodgers' Billy Grabarkowitz. It was Chicago Cub Jim Huckman who followed with a sharply hit ball to center field. Amos Otis then fielded that ball, came up throwing to Cleveland Indians rookie catcher Ray Fossey. Just as the throw arrived at the plate, trying to score from second base, Rose barreled over Fossey to score the winning run. Now, the collision caused Rose to miss three games with a bruised knee but it was Fossey's career that was never the same. His fractured and separated shoulder that somehow went undiagnosed until the following year, well, it vastly diminished his power at the plate. Keep in mind, he had 16 home runs before the All-Star break, only two after, and he played through the 1979 season, but never ever approached those first-year power numbers. Some called Rose's effort the ultimate example of his Charlie Hustle nickname, But plenty of baseball fans thought his disregard for his Fosse's safety in what was really just an exhibition game made him a downright villain. You want another example of the controversy surrounding Pete Rose? How about one of the more recent stories? This one reported back in 2010 by Deadspin, the Chicago-based sports blog. They reported that Rose used illegal corked bats during the 1985 pursuit of Ty Cobb's all-time hits record. Two different sports memorabilia collectors who had owned Rose's game-used bats from that season, well, they had their bats x-rayed and both found the telltale signs of corking. Now, Rose, of course, has denied ever using corked bats, but what really cost Pete Rose and earned him a lifetime ban from baseball, that came during his days as manager of the Reds in the late 80s. Rumors had begun to circulate that Rose had bet on baseball. That's a cardinal sin, when it comes to the baseball rules. In early 1989, Rose met with then-Commissioner of Baseball Peter Ubaroth and the National League President Bart Giamatti. He was asked about those allegations and vehemently denied them. Now, Ubaroth had already announced his decision to retire as commissioner, and the MLB owners had already elected Giamatti to succeed him. So after questioning Rose, the outgoing commissioner decided to do nothing and let his successor Giamatti deal with those allegations. It was also around this time that Sports Illustrated printed their first detailed report of the allegations. And when Giamatti finally became Commissioner of Baseball on April 1st, one of his first actions was to ask a lawyer by the name of John M. Dowd to investigate the charges against Rose. That brought us the famous or infamous Dowd Report. It came just a month later in May of 89 when the Commissioner was told that Rose bet on 52 Reds games during the 1987 season, wagering a minimum of $10,000 a day. Even still, Rose continued to claim his innocence. He refused to appear at a hearing with Giamatti and went as far as to file a lawsuit, one that really just delayed the inevitable. Soon, Rose and his legal team agreed to begin settlement negotiations with the commissioner's office, and the result was historic. August 24, 1989, Rose voluntarily accepted a permanent place on baseball's ineligible list. In the agreement, Rose accepted that there was a factual reason for the ban, and in return, Major League Baseball agreed to make no formal finding in regards to the gambling allegations. Per baseball rules, Rose could apply for reinstatement in one year. But Bart Giamatti said at the time, quote, there is absolutely no deal for reinstatement. So, Rose, with a managerial record of 412 wins against 373 losses, was replaced as Reds manager by Tommy Helms, and Rose began therapy with a psychiatrist for a treatment of a gambling addiction. Then, in the ultimate twist in the Rose versus baseball battle on September 1st, 1989, just eight days after announcing Rose's suspension, League Commissioner Bart Giamatti died of a heart attack. Now, if you go back and read the Dowd report, it clearly says, quote, no evidence was discovered that Rose bet against the Reds. But years later, in a December 2002 interview, Investigator Dowd said that he believed Rose probably did bet against the Reds at some point while managing them. But again, there's never been clear evidence of that. So why is betting on your own team such a big deal? Well, the rule is pretty simple. It's important to note that there is no distinction made between betting for Or against one's team. Just read the rule. Number twenty-one reads Misconduct Betting on Ball Games. Any player, umpire, or club or league official or employee who shall bet any sum whatsoever upon any baseball game in connection with which the better has a duty to perform, shall be declared permanently ineligible. And that's clear wording. It's what continues to hamper Pete Rose's numerous applications for reinstatement. Since nineteen ninety two, Rose has attempted to make his case to commissioners Faye Vincent, Bud Selig, and most recently, current MLB commissioner Rob Manfred. In December 2015, Manfred rejected a request saying that Rose had not been forthcoming about his gambling, that Rose did not have, quote, a mature understanding of his wrongful conduct, and that allowing Rose back in the game would be a, quote, unacceptable risk. Now, with the recent news of the Houston Astros sign stealing scandal, Rose, just within the last month, has once again appealed to Rob Manfred for reinstatement. But before we discuss that and make the case for Rose to be or not to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, let's hear from Pete Rose himself. It's been nearly 20 years, but back in 2001, I, along with my friend and radio partner Ken the Snake Stabler, spoke with Pete on a show called Snake's Take. We talked about Pete's playing days, about his appearance at the all-century team announcement when... During that pregame introduction of the team before Game 2 of the 1999 World Series between the Braves and Yankees, despite never having been a member of the Braves, in Atlanta, Georgia, at Turner Field, Rose received the loudest ovation of all the All-Century team members. And of course, we also asked Pete about his lifetime ban from baseball. At the time, Fox Sports had recently aired an episode of their documentary series, Beyond the Glory, which detailed the Rose allegations and its findings were interesting to say the least. You'll hear about that as we jump in the wayback machine for a chat between myself, the late great Ken Stabler, and the one and only Pete Rose. I think
1: if you track the way I played, uh, a little bit the way you played, uh, we had fun. And it was, Have uh, fun, fun and go out open. Yeah, it was fun to be out on the field, and we just had to be lucky enough to be associated with a lot of great players and a lot of winning teams, and hey, we know as well as anybody else it's more fun to win than it is to lose. Pete, I know you do a lot of traveling around the country doing different type of things and, and uh, really uh, could be a, ter- a terrific ambassador for baseball if they would just let you do that. Uh, how do you stand right now with, well, with the reinstatement calls? That's a real good question, Kenny. But believe it or not, and you may think I'm an idiot when I say this, but I think I'm the best ambassador that baseball has, and they don't even want me around. What I mean by that is you and I were just talking before we went on the air You know, I'm going to Des Moines, Iowa tomorrow, and I'm going to California on on Sunday and and back to Philadelphia next Saturday and over to do QVC on Monday night, uh, and all I do is talk about baseball. And see, baseball, no one admit, but it's just something that happened because of my career being so long and, and the things I accomplished that my name is kind of synonymous with the game of baseball. And you know, they they just will not give you a second chance. I mean, if I was a drug dealer, if I was an alcoholic, or if I was a spousal beater, I would have probably got a. I know I'd have got a second chance, but I just picked the the wrong uh, vice to, to do, and that was gambling. Pete, uh, I know as far as the reinstatement issue is concerned, is is there not the, uh, some steps that you are going through right now to continue that reinstatement yeah, we, process? We, a letter, a letter, and letter, letter right, form. Right, Kenny. We we got a we we got a paper trail with the, with Major League Baseball, but I must tell you that they have no paper trail back to us, and uh, we're at the stage. You talk about a, a frustrating situation. We're at the stage where they did not even take it upon themselves to answer your phone calls. Or answer your letters, I mean, I don't know what kind of lawyers they got working for them, but uh it's not ethical the way they handle things because they don't need me, and if you watch Beyond the Gloria, the former commissioner Fay Vincent, that's exactly what he said. Uh, the last question asked he said, well why should we reinstate Pete Rose? Baseball don't need him, but if they need you, they'll they'll call you like you know when they had the all century celebration in Atlanta, and MasterCard sponsored that and and I made the team, so if you make the team, you got to be there. They they made uh, 50 calls of my my agent Warren Green to make sure everything was on the up and up as far as when I was getting there and how I was getting there and where I was going because they were getting paid from a big company and and it would have been a slap in the face of the company if I wasn't at that All Century celebration. So when they need you, they call you, but if they don't need you, they just wish it fade away into the sunset.
0: Peter, you mentioned that behind the glory episode. I yep. saw that and was fascinated. Uh, especially late in the program, when they when they revealed what appeared to be some major discrepancies in in, in some of the investigations, well, some see, of the what, evidence, Mike, or so-called evidence.
1: Mike, what happened is is all during the investigation of Pete Rose back in 1989, 1990. I was never allowed to say anything because I had a gag rule put on me by Bart Giamatti in '89, and we signed the agreement. So all the the money I spent a million and a half dollars to lawyers getting all this information. The first time we ever disclosed any information was on Beyond the Glory. I mean, you talk about a one-sided situation, uh, and that was uh, uh, the investigation of Pete Rose. So there is a lot of discrepancies. I mean, if you just would go on the record and, and believe everything that you hear, everything that you read, or everything that you see on TV, you'd think that they got betting slips and fingerprints and phone records and stuff like that, and they don't. I mean, but if you tell people enough times that you got something, people are going to believe it. See, and I could never, I could never contest anything that they said because I wasn't allowed to because he put a gag rule on me. And Watch sure, there's a, there's one thumbprint, like uh, Bionna Glory said, uh, on the middle of a page. And our expert would tell you that no one could do that much writing on a piece of paper and not have uh, more fingerprints than just one thumbprint. Or the betting slips. I mean, uh, uh, the FBI will tell you that the, you can't tell who wrote the handwriting on the on the uh, the betting slips because it's distorted. the 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 handwriting is distorted, but yet they say it's mine. See, I mean, and they have no phone records. No phone records from me to any bookmaker from my office. They have no phone because every phone record. I don't know about football, Kenny, but every. Every phone call made from a baseball clubhouse or a baseball manager's office is logged. So all you have to do is look who I called and when I called, and there's none to any bookmaker. There's none to any other manager. And uh, But they say they got phone records. I'll tell,
0: tell you how compelling a story it is. I'm watching that behind the glory. My 14-year-old daughter, who's not much of a baseball fan, right. guys, but she walks through the room, sits down. I mean, she's mesmerized by it. And, and, and Pete, again, you mentioned – the uh, the all-star game the the all-century team what a response from baseball fans not yep. major league baseball but baseball fans
1: yeah that that made me feel real good mike because that as you know that was in atlanta and uh, that wasn't in cincinnati i mean that would have been embarrassing to me if that had been a cincinnati game or a cincinnati home game because you know cincinnati was in the playoffs that year and it very well could have been the world series in cincinnati because If that had been a Cincinnati game, those people would have went on for 15, 20 minutes. That would have really been embarrassing to baseball. But the way it turned out, it it was a great thing for me. It it was an ovation that lasted about 75 seconds. But when you're standing there with Henry Aaron and Willie Mays and Ted Williams and Sandy Koufax and Warren Spahn and and Johnny Bench and people like that, and you get a a 75-second standing ovation, it's it just—it just blows your mind. It just—it's uh, it's the most goosebumpy situation I've been in, with the exception of the night I broke the record.
0: My friend Ken Stabler and I, visiting with Pete Rose back in 2001. Now here we are in 2020, and Pete Rose has again appealed to MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred for reinstatement. What's changed? Well, in Pete's mind, the recent news of the Astros sign-stealing scandal. In their petition to the commissioner's office, Rose's attorneys argue that since no Astros player has been disciplined in that recent scandal, how can Rose continue to be suspended 30 years later for gambling on baseball? It's a reasonable argument, but one that will likely end like each of his previous attempts to make peace with baseball in failure. Yes, he willingly accepted a lifetime ban from baseball in 1989, but it's important to remember when he signed the agreement, he had at least a somewhat legitimate idea that after a year when he was eligible to apply for reinstatement, that his appeal might really be considered. But the truth is, that has never happened. See, just two years after Rose's deal with baseball, it was the Hall of Fame that would pass a rule banning any player on MLB's ineligible list to be on the Hall of Fame ballot, whether dead or alive. So the bottom line well, just last month, USA Today baseball writer Bob Nightingale wrote an excellent opinion piece detailing the latest Rose request for reinstatement. And he wrote, quote, MLB is never going to reinstate him and the Hall of Fame isn't about to go against the wishes of the league. Rose's name will never appear on the ballot, dead or alive. Sadly, the man who produced more hits than anyone who ever lived will only be a footnote in Major League Baseball history, end quote. So we finally get around to the question, do I think Pete should be in the Hall of Fame? And honestly, I'm torn. Now, keep in mind, I've never been a really big Pete Rose fan, especially during his playing days, but there is no denying his impact on the game, both good and bad. If you go back 20 years to when we talked to Pete, my answer would have probably been yes, let's put him in the Baseball Hall of Fame. But I think the most telling arguments against reinstatement come oddly enough from Pete himself. Early 2004, Rose finally gets around to publishing an autobiography, My Prison Without Bars, and in it, Pete finally admits publicly to betting on baseball games while playing for and managing the Reds. That admission by itself, per the baseball rulebook, brings with it a lifetime ban from baseball. But I think the biggest admission for Rose came on September 11, 2010, during a roast of Rose held at the Hollywood Casino Lawrenceburg in Indiana. It was there on the 25th anniversary of his record-setting 4,192nd hit that Rose wept openly in front of that crowd, acknowledging that he had, quote, disrespected baseball. While there, he apologized to his former teammates in attendance, stating, I guarantee everyone in this room I will never disrespect you again. I love the fans, I love the game of baseball, and I love Cincinnati baseball. Unquote. "Now there was a Cincinnati Enquirer reporter there covering the event and he wrote that Pete's words and crying surprised those present and went on to say quote it felt completely unscripted completely sincere and very powerful having covered Rose for more than 25 years I have never heard him like that" unquote and I think there's your bottom line whether his betting on baseball actually had any impact on the game or the outcome of any single game or not Pete Rose broke the rules, period. He knows it. He has known it. And as evidenced in that 2010 roast appearance, he's sorry for it. Now, would I like to see Pete in the Hall of Fame because of his achievements as a player? And the fact that is, without a doubt, he is one of the greatest Major League Baseball players of all time. Sure, he should be in the Hall of Fame. But will he ever be in the Hall of Fame? Well, thanks to his own admitted actions off the field, that answer has to be no. That's going to do it for this week's episode, but we'll be back next week for another greatest of all time discussion. Between now and then, I would love to hear from you on today's topic. You can shoot me a note with your thoughts or any suggestion for an upcoming episode. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all at Mike Grace Live, or just look for the contact page at MikeGraceLive.com and send me your thoughts there. We'd love for you to subscribe to the show so it comes right to you each and every week. We're available both on Apple and Google Podcasts, plus iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. And on each of those platforms, you can hear our previous episodes if you've missed any along the way. Hey, one final request, if you would, wherever you're listening, please take a moment and rate and review us. And even better, tell a friend to check us out. That would be most appreciated. As always, thanks to Daniel Workman for the original music you hear on the show and to Matthew Grace of Veritas Designs for website and logo design. You can contact Matthew and see his work by searching Veritas Design Co. on Instagram or go online and search MatthewGrace at dribble.com. Until next time, I'm Mike Grace with a big thank you for listening to this edition of the greatest podcast of all time.